Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stu and Blake. Right, quickly, before we get on with the episode, we've got an announcement. The MMA Fan Podcast is now sponsored by Free Train. Blake, what's Free Train? Free Train is a fantastic company that do these amazing vests for when you run, when you train. Whether you're going for a run or hitting the bag, you can keep your phone close to your chest. And uh, yeah, they're brilliant. They've got a little pocket for your keys. You no more do you need to have your phone rumbling around in your pocket or at an awkward angle on your arm or anything like that. You've got the vest on. Phones there, easy access to it. They do some great uh, gloves as well to keep your hands warm and be able to touch the phone and everything. It's all linked up with your phone. So, yeah, they're a fantastic brand. A couple of pockets for your keys. Everything you need when you go for a run or if you're hitting the bag training. And you're not just saying this for the sake of it. Before they even become our sponsors, you had one of these vests, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I've, well, I've still got it. I run with it all the time. But yeah, before they became our sponsors, I had one of these vests. They are genuinely brilliant. I really like them. And uh, yeah, I'm really pleased they're our sponsor. And if you want one, if you head over to freetrain.com, when you go shopping and you put all your stuff in your in your basket, just before you check out, if you put in the code MMAFAN, you'll save yourself 10%. Don't say we don't spoil you here on this podcast. 10% off an amazing vest from Free Train. www.freetrain.com. All right, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I am Blake Harrison, and my co host is. Stu Whiffin. Hello, Blake. Hello, mate. How's things? Uh, all good, all good. I mean, we're, we're saying this like we've just bumped into each other. Uh, we've just finished recording the second podcast of the day, so we've been looking at each other on Zoom for probably about the last two and a half hours. But that sounded sprightly and fresh. Oh, you're like the masked magician here, just revealing all the secrets. Like, <laughs> the big come on. reveal. It's the big reveal. Why, do you, why would you do that? Why would you do it? Well, yes, so, I mean, I don't know exactly when this episode is going to go out and in mm. what order we're going to put them out. But we have just chatted with uh, with the brilliant Brett Johns, and we're keeping it very Welsh on the show by now chatting to Jack Shaw. So uh, yeah, well, Jack Shaw is is a great chat. Uh, very long amateur career, which we we touch upon, mm. and uh, he's now fourteen and zero as a professional, three and zero in the UFC, and he's in uh, that incredible bantamweight division, which we also touch upon. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, both Brett and Jack just really lovely humble 
great guys to talk to, really. I mean... Absolutely, yeah. and and it's it's no it's no surprise that they've got these dedicated huge Welsh followings. And I mean, we touch on how obsessed uh, some of them fans are uh, with Jack on this, going to extraordinary lengths to showcase their dedication to him as a fighter. Uh, we touch on uh, lots of the stuff that we always like to ask fighters, whether that's you know kind of mindset and weight cutting, uh, and obviously you know fighting in empty arenas during the pandemic and and fighting with big crowds and and the you know the weight of expectation and how that 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 can uh, sit on their shoulders as well so there's there's loads of the usual stuff and and obviously some uh other incredible bits of chitter chatter from a wonderful fighter so should we get on with it let's do it ladies and gentlemen here's jack shaw oh hi jack and like always we always like to start this podcast by asking you how you come to be a fighter how how did you find yourself in the world of 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 combat sports my well my very first experience was um i, I was 6 years old and um, my dad took me to like a local traditional martial arts gym just for the kickboxing class and to be honest i think it was it was nothing more than just him wanting me out to the house for a couple of hours a week um <laughs> i was like playing football and stuff like that and he just he just needed me out to the house for those extra 2 hours a week so that that's how i came across it and you know, he, he ended up training at the same gym. Um, obviously, he, he was around about 30, I think, so he took it a little bit more serious than I did. I was just a kid. Um, and he ended up starting his own gym, and, and, and that's obviously when I started to to get into it serious and, and, and started training a little bit harder, a little bit more often, and, and rather than just to, to be out of the house, to be honest. So did your dad have much experience in martial arts before this moment in time, before, before he starts taking you to the gym? What was his background in martial arts at all? Not very minimal. He did, he did judo as a kid for a couple of years and um, he used to run a few pubs um, in the local town. So a couple of the doormen would like meet up once a week and um, they, they knew a little bit of traditional jujitsu, um, like gosh and quai, Japanese jujitsu and a little bit of judo. And, you know, he, he said he'd be the first to tell. He fancied himself a little bit as if, you know, he knew he knew what he was up to. And then he went to, to the club I was at. They were doing a jiu-jitsu class and he went and there was a guy there. Um, he used to be in the UFC, Joe Duffy. And oh, yeah. um, he was a 14-year-old kid at the time. And I think he subbed him, he said, around seven or eight times in a, in, in a five-minute round. <laughs> and he, you know, he said he couldn't breathe. He was gassed out. He didn't know he didn't know what was coming up. He said there was kids, like young kids, subbing him for fun. And he was like, look, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I need to start training properly. And and that's where his sort of love for the sport took off then. Wow. And did that did that go from, you said sort of jiu-jitsu um, and, and judo. Uh, when he opened the club, was that as was was that doing jiu-jitsu and judo or was that as an MMA club? Had, had mixed martial arts kind of found itself, you know, in the... In the and it sort of established itself in Wales by that point. Um, it hadn't established itself as such, but it was open as an MMA gym. It was one of the first probably in, in the UK. You know, usually, look, like going back 10, 15 years ago when, when it opened, the gyms were more sort of like, you know, boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu clubs, and you would have a guy who would do his MMA class twice a week, whereas my father had fought um, amateur MMA. He had one pro fight. And he, and, and, and he was basically taking a lot of the classes at this old gym, and he just sort of said to himself, you know, why am I not running my own gym. So he started his own gym, but it was one of the first, I, I would have said, in the UK that was primarily an MMA gym. Our name at the time was Tuleri Combat MMA, whereas a lot of clubs were sort of jiu-jitsu-based and judo-based, 
I was was an MMA gym. Although we, you know, we did our jiu-jitsu classes, we did our judo classes, but primarily all the boys there were fighting and competing in MMA. So you you went twelve and zero as an amateur, and uh, you, you're right. You won gold at the 2015 IMMAF uh, European Championships as a lightweight. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, it's to me. Uh, maybe it's becoming more common now, but seeing twelve and zero as an amateur, that sounds like quite a, a long amateur career in a way. I see a lot of like four and O's, five and O's, stuff like that. But but twelve and O's is that common? Do you think, or becoming more common now to see these long amateur MMA careers? And also, how did it help you with with your professional career? So I imagine it did having all those amateur fights. Yeah, definitely. Like back back, especially in twenty fifteen. I mean, I was four or five and oh like you said and people are on to me you know when you're going to turn pro and the, the plan was before the IMAF tournament came about I think I was seven and oh eight and oh as an amateur and I did I was going to turn pro and then th- this cropped up and he was in Birmingham and we decided to go for it but I think it's coming more common now there's, there's a guy that trains with me and uh, Brett Scotty Pedersen and I think he had 28 or 29 amateur fights wow. as well as um seven or eight k1 like amateur k1 fights as well and He's just turned pro this year now. So it just, I think it's becoming a little bit more like boxing. You see these amateur boxers, they have maybe 100, 200 fights, some of them, before before they get into the pro ranks. Whereas back sort of just before I turned pro, it wasn't uncommon to have two or three amateur wins and then turn professional. Whereas now I think the level is so high that if you was, you know, there's guys in my gym now who are two and three and all amateurs and they, they are training more than what the pros was back when I was an amateur. Um, so with the levels going up, obviously that need for experience is going up, I believe, as well. Um, I was fortunate, you know, I signed straight to Cage Warriors as a professional, but the fact that I'd had those 12 amateur fights and four of those was um, in the IMAF tournament, so against some of the best guys in Europe, then it put me in good stead then for the level increase then from your domestic amateur scene to Cage Warriors would have been probably a big jump, whereas the IMAF was sort of that middle ground that helped me merge the gap then, if you like. And, and that bridging of the gap, I mean, you, that, that experience would obviously have given you, a, you know, a, a better fight mentality and, um, and, and, and obviously, you know, it would have developed you physically. But having them, them, that amount of amateur fights, did that help you with, with like mental confidence? And, and, and just because for me, like when, when we talk to, to, to a lot of fighters on here, you know, we'll, we'll get on to it, I'm sure. But I guess... What, what I'm trying to ask you is like, did, did you feel that you sort of started to build that kind of mental confidence about sort of even just the walking out to the octagon? Yeah, well, you know, confidence comes with experience, I think, and that's in anything, any sort of, any job, any walk of life. So it's the same with fighting. I, I always say like the youngsters coming up, you know, they're 18, 19, 20, and, and they got this sudden news. They want to go pro. They want to they be fighting on cage wars. They want to be fighting on... Bam, oh, not even Bam, no more, Bellator, UFC. And I say you've got to save your apprenticeship. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't start working as, say, an electrician and, and jump state in and, and, and rewire a house. You, you do the little jobs. You, you know, you work your way up. You do, you do things that's going to put you in good stead to then maybe go off and do it on your own. And it's the same with fighting. You know, the amateur scene is where you make your mistakes and, and hit your little speed bumps to put you in good stead with the pro. Like you say, get used to the, the walking out, the waiting around, because it's... It shows at amateur. You may be the first on, or you may be the fifteenth on, and it, and you get used to that. Ah, uh, you know, right? You've wrapped your hands. If you're first on, get ready because you're on your way now. Or if you're last on, that sort of three, four hours of waiting about and 
letting the butterflies and the nerves build. So a, a, a long amateur career and, you know, it is definitely something I try and preach to the youngsters. I teach a couple of youngsters at the gym and I try and tell them they, they need to be competing and, and as active as they can. I mean, when you go pro, no one remembers your amateur record really anyway. So, you know, that's your chance to make your mistakes, take your tough fights. There's no point padding. Like I see plenty of guys about padding their amateur record and it's like, you know, when you go pro, that you can't, you can only pad for so long at pro. Eventually, you're gonna come across someone of a good level if you want to have aspirations of fighting in the UFC or fighting in Bellator. You can, you can, you know, an amateur. What's what's good in being eight, nine, ten, and oh, if, if you haven't fought anyone who's any good. I mean, it, not to say that the guy, every guy who's undefeated at amateur has got a padded record, but you know, I sort of mean take the tough fights at amateur. Like my again, going back to Scotty, I think he had. Nine losses in amateur, but they're to some of the top, top level guys. The IMAF losses, they even as you is the guy the guys he's lost in the UK have gone on to have a good, good pro career. So he's sort of seen it and, and done everything and experienced everything now before even going pro. So when he goes pro, I don't imagine there's gonna be a lot that's gonna sort of throw him off or think, you know, I've never seen this before. And that that's definitely why I would my advice anyway to, to youngsters or amateurs coming through would be is you know, don't rush your amateur career. Take as long as you gotta take. If if you've got to be amateur for six, six, seven years, it doesn't matter. There's, there's guys I know, like Joe Cordina, who's a, who's a really high-level Welsh boxer. Now he's on the verge of fighting for a world title. I think he had, I think he was 26 or 27 before he turned pro. And I mean, he's had, only had 10 pro fights now, and he's looking at a world title shot. So, you know, it all works itself out. It's, 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 it's something you can't rush. You know, you need, you need that apprenticeship behind you. And that, that mental confidence, uh, I mean, as your career's developed, you know, you've got, a hefty old following that, <laughs> that 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 love what you do, and just you, you mentioned whether you're first on or, or you know or, or further down the bill, you know even in you know the Cage Warriors and, and and now the UFC. Like, what's your routine um, backstage when you've you know the hands are wrapped? Then like we, we've spoke to people on here that have said they've seen fighters literally having a sleep. And you know that seems alien to us, but like, I mean that's that's different levels of calmness. But what's yours? You know, are you? Yeah, just what what is your routine? Yeah, like a f- funny story, actually. Like cause I try to stay as calm as possible. Obviously, there's a time where you gotta flip the switch and and sort of be be in that zone where you look because at the end of the day, you are going out to have a have a fight. We can paint it up how we like as you know. And I, and I I'm the first to call it a sport, and we should be treated like athletes and. But it is a fight at the end of the day. So there does come a time where you've got to switch on or, you know, you could get seriously hurt. But, like, before my last fight, we fought... Um, I fought 10 o'clock in the morning. So we had to be at the venue from half six. And I think I slept in the change room until something like quarter to nine. So wow. it was like, wake up, wrap your hands and, and warm up. But it varies from fight to fight. Obviously, the later you're on, in, in, on the card, the more waiting around you've got. I've had shows, like, my first two UFC fights, I was first on the bill. So... There was no sort of hanging about. It was your first in the changing room, wrap your hands and sort of warm up and out you go. But I just like to keep it as, as calm as possible. I, I see so many people burning and, and wasting nervous energy just by being so hyped up and pacing and, and got their headphones on like four or five hours before they do the fight. You know, I, when I used to fight in cage wars, obviously I was last on the bill, last going off. And I would go out and watch the amateur card and, and go and watch the pro undercard. And then, you know, maybe eight, nine o'clock, I'd go back back out the change room and then sort of turn on. But I like to keep it as calm as possible. And, and that's, I think it's down to personal preference. That Like, that's just me. I know guys who have been very successful from being angry for the entire day of the fight. You know, I also know guys who are laughing and giggling just before they're about to walk out, whereas I like to sort of, you know, get serious and, and get, get, get in the mood. Because I'm, like, I'm not a natural-born fighter. You know, I didn't grow up 
street fighting and, and, and didn't grow up sort of rough and tumble and, and, and fighting every weekend. I, I was a quiet kid. I was quite introverted. So, you know, for me to, uh, as, as calm as I am before a fight, I have got to flip that switch and, and zone in and, and get myself mentally prepared before I actually make the walk. Whereas I know one of my teammates, Chris Edwards, you know, you watch him walk out of a fight, it looks as if he's, he's, he's walking to his day job. You know, he hasn't got a care in the world. So I think everyone's different, but that's, that's my personal preference. And like, we've, you've just mentioned like being on uh, the, the, like the main event of like Cage Warriors, but also you've been the opening fighter on like a UFC card. Is there one of those that's more nerve wracking than the other one when you're like, you know, all the pressure's on you when you're in a main event? But also, you know, it's a slightly smaller organization. But then with the UFC, you're first up in the huge organization. But there's obviously going to be maybe less people around or less people knowing you, especially if you're fighting abroad uh, on that bigger stage. So is there one that's more nerve wracking than the other? Um, Yeah, I think that I mean, regardless of what sort of level you're at, I think a main event spot is always is always going to be tougher than, than the first on just because of the waiting round. I mean, like. For example, in my first, uh, sorry, my main event, my last main event in Cage was, I think I fought 11.30 in the night, whereas my UFC debut, I fought 5.30 in the afternoon. So, you know, but you're still waking up at the same time. You've still got the same fight day routine, except there's, there's not as much waiting around. And, you know, I said going into my UFC debut, I felt like I was back fighting as an amateur again, you know, on the amateur undercard of a big pro card because I'd gone from, you know, all this media media interviews and doing promos and photo shoots and then obviously waiting about all day and having this card built around me and selling 5,000 tickets to then, you know, I was a guy that no one knew. I was first on the card. Um, you know, no one wanted, no one wants to interview me when you've got people like, you know, Darren Till and Leon Edwards in the venue. You know, they, they, don't, they don't really, they don't really care what I got to say. So the, the main event thing definitely adds that a little bit. I'm not sure if, if I would say pressure, but it does, it does. It adds a bit of anticipation then because of the waiting round, because everyone is sort of there to watch you. Whereas, you know, first, I mean, I pick first on every time. Would Obviously, you? the the better you get, you know, and the higher you work your way up, you get less and less chance of being first on. But I, I prefer first on. Get in and get out, and go and watch the rest of the car. That's that's what I prefer. And and speaking of sort of changes in 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 the fight environments, <clears throat> whether it's you know placement on the card, how did you find fighting? In empty venues, it was it was definitely weird. I mean, when the fight starts, you sort of switch. I switch off anyway. I like to just try and focus on my coaches. Obviously, the crowd factor in when you got a big crowd, but obviously in the empty venue, you can I could just hear my coaches, and that was it. And the only real weird part of it for me was the the walkout. You know, usually you walk through the crowd, and you got the, the fans and people shouting and screaming. There was none of that. And then obviously the um, the intros with Bruce Buffer. I mean. Usually, when it, whether it's Bruce Buffer or, or Howell Chaplin on Cage Warriors, you, you get the intro and also you have a bit of a pop off the crowd after it, whether it's cheers or booze. Every time I've ever fought, there's been that pop off the crowd. And I mean, out in Fight Island, I think Bruce Buffer announced Jack Sean. I think it was my two cornermen just there clapping on their own, you know, no one else. So <laughs> that, that was a little bit of a weird one. But thankfully, I didn't didn't find it too bad. I, too bad sort of when the fight started. I mean, the IMAF was um nice. That was like a quite a small venue as well. So I think there was maybe 20, 30 people watching that. But for it to be, you know, pure silence pretty much during Fight Island and then obviously in, in the Apex as well. It, it was um it was a weird one, but it's one I'm glad I've done. You know, it's one I'm glad I can look back on and say I've done it with the fans and without the fans. But 
I would pick the fans being in there all day. Yeah, I mean, it, it was so funny. I, I think it was this weekend's cards card uh, at the UFC because they were back at the Apex. Uh, the ring announcer, not Bruce Buffer, it was someone else. He started, I think, either the main event or the main card by saying, make some noise if you are ready. And then you, all you can hear is like a couple of ring girls go, yeah. It was so much like, clapping in the stands. That's it. That's all you hear, and you're like, "Why would you say make some noise if you're ready?" We're in an empty stadium. Like it was so weird. Um, but I mean, we we touched briefly there on 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 fans and stuff. And you've got such a great fan base over in Wales. You know, they follow yourself. They follow Brett Johns. They're very noisy lot. And some of them, uh, I think, have even got tattoos saying uh, Jack Shaw's on fire. <laughs> I mean, what is that like? Because, I mean, look, you're, you're not yet. I mean, you're big in Wales. You, you were a Cage Warriors champion. But in terms of, like, the UFC being the promotion that it is, you're still working your way up there. So what's it like at this stage in your career to have people that are so devoted to you as a fighter and dedicated to you to actually have it tattooed on their body? I mean, how can you put that into words, how that makes you feel? And, and also how that might aid you in the octagon if you're, if you're hearing that crowd that are backing you so strongly. Yeah, the tattoo thing, I mean, it's, it's bonkers. Like, <laughs> it, I mean, I was 1-0 as well. I was 1-0 in Cage Warriors when, when people... I, we was on a boys all day and, like, woke up the one morning and six or seven had gone and had this tattoo and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and then now, now I get people who I sort of... Then I was, I was coming up through Cage, so I got people who... I know very well now, but I barely knew at the time we were supporters. They were getting it. You know, one of my one of my father's best friend has got like a proper sleeve tattoo and he had a tattoo covered up to have it tattooed so he could have Jacks was on fire tattooed on his bicep. <laughs> um, his friend then has got a tattooed across the side of his head in, in a massive font. And it's just like it's just bonkers. I mean, it's very like it's it can overwhelm you a little bit sometimes to think these, you know, that these people just, they want me to do so well. And a lot of them have never really met me personally. A lot of them have. And they, they all want me to do, you know, these guys who I've known all my life support me. And then these guys who I've known maybe a year or two, but they all genuinely, truly want me to succeed. And it is an unbelievable buzz off that, you know. I, I just, I can't wait to fight again and have them in the arena to feel that energy because, you know, the fights, like the Scott Malone fight in Cage Royals and my debut, I mean, even my UFC debut, although the arena was a little bit empty, there was like four or 500 Welsh in there. And it was just to feel that buzz in our atmosphere. I sort of, I can't really remember it if I'm, you know, I know it sounds weird because it was only maybe two years ago that I that they were last there, but that's a long time, mm. you know. And I just, I can't wait to feel that feeling again of the walkout and the intros and, and being mid-fight and, and you're in them all and thriving off our atmosphere a little bit because a fight is a fight, don't get me wrong. And, and when, when there's no fans, you still got to go in there and fight. But, it definitely gives you that little extra push. I mean, you can, you can be in, in bad spots or you can be pour, pouring the, the pressure on and you can hear the crowd game behind you. And it, it sometimes it's almost as, as if it gives you an extra lung and, and, and switches you on that a little bit more. So it's, I really can't put it into words in, in, in just in one sentence of how much it, it means to me to have that support. But I'll forever be grateful and... I, I will, I'll always remember the ones that, that were there in the, uh, in, in the local leisure centre cheering for me as well, as well as the bigger... 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, one of the things that also I'm interested with, with, with fans and, and, and of, of, of mixed martial arts is, I mean, in your division, um, we, we've seen the rise of, of Sugar Sean, who's playing the kind of Conor McGregor game of being the, the superstar and the, the, you know, the hype and, you know, he's, he's, he's around him. Um, is, is, is that, that, that kind of, do you ever feel that, 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 that there needs to be more that, that fighters should be doing outside of the octagon if they want to kind of build a brand? Is that something that, that you or any of the fighters that you, you, you train with ever consider that side of things and and also in regards to some of the, the stuff that you, you see fighters getting on social media both good and bad like how do you deal with that as well as far as like building i think you've definitely got to build a brand um but you've got to be authentic with it like there's conor mcgregor just did such a good job of it and, and made so much money from doing it. i think everyone was sort of under the illusion that right well if i just act like that guy yeah. then i'm gonna make that type of money but it doesn't work i mean you've it works so well for McGregor. I mean, he's been like that since he was an amateur or since he was a, a novice pro. He's always been that, that guy who's sharp with a tongue, very confident in himself, got a bit of swagger about him, got a bit of cockiness about him. And that's why he does it so well. And, it, and people love it. You know, I'm a little bit polar opposite. You know, I'm the quiet guy, sort of let my fight and do the talking. A little bit, I, I was described as like the kid next door. You know, you wouldn't look at me and think this, this guy's a fighter. And, and I think that's why people can relate to me a little bit. And, and I sort of have, have such a good connection with my fans. But, I mean, you've got to build a brand. You know, this, nowadays, unfortunately, just, just going in there and fighting is not enough. You've got to be able to... I, I tell all the, all the guys coming up, you've got to be able to sell tickets. You've got to be able to promote yourself online, whether it be, you know, through being like a, a Conor McGregor, Chelsea, you know, whether it's like being maybe a me and, and, and Brett Johns, that type of way. But you've got to have a brand. Um, and you've got to be able to sell yourself a little bit. You know, I always sold myself off having this massive following and and going in there and, and, and dominating the fight from start to finish. There's guys who maybe haven't got that following, but they're better at sort of bigging themselves up online and people will then pay to watch. I mean, look at Jake. That Jake Paul is the best example. How many people tune in to watch him <laughs> yeah. because they want to see him get knocked out? I mean, Floyd Mayweather was was the original king of it. You know, he wasn't... 
he was a very exciting fighter as a youngster. Had a lot of hand issues. Had to go a little bit more defensive. So he started letting his mouth, you know, make make his money for him because people would tune in to either watch him win, or ninety percent of tune in to watch him get knocked out. But whatever way you do it, you've got to be able to, to build the brand. And as far as you said, like about the the pros and the cons you have online, I think everyone takes it differently. You know, I got these guys in the gym with me will will argue with people online all day long, whereas. I sort of, as as much as I'm on social media, I'm not on social media as well. And I don't, I won't engage in sort of negativity or I like negativity because I've got, got so many people, you know, want me to do well who are leaving positive comments who are full of praise. You know, I seen a, a thing with Cowboy Stroney before. He said, for some reason, we could have a thousand good comments and one bad one and we like, like and reply to the bad one. But a lot of these these guys online, that's what they want. They're saying what they say to get, to get a reaction Close. out of you. Close. If you don't give them the reaction sooner or later they go away you know that's that's just how it works but it is a tough one for fighters because we're proud people obviously when we go to fight we put all on the line in front of everyone there's no sort of shying away or hiding away from when when you're in the cage if you get knocked out or choked out or submitted or dominated it's there for everyone to see and fighting is so poor it's it's one man versus one man or or one woman versus one woman you can't blame no one else you can't blame your coaches You, you may have an excuse like a weight cut an injury but Ultimately, the, the better man beat you, you know, regardless of whether he knocked you out or, or beat you on decision. So I think because it's so poor, that's why fighters get so wet up online when these guys come at them with, with the comments because it, it can sting. Because, you know, you ultimately, it's like we, you know, I don't want to sound cringe or cliche, but we, we are sort of modern day gladiators. We're going out there and, and fighting and, you know, win or lose, we still got to go out there we, we, and we still got to. You know, do, we can only do our best, and that's why I say to the boys, you know, don't engage with the, don't engage with the muppets online because that's what they want. I like the positivity. You know, reply to the guys who, who want you to do well and, and uh, who are full of praise. And even when you pick up those losses or, or those injuries, the guys who were there a few then and, and checking in on you and you know asking you how training is going, they, they are the people we should be focusing on. Not, you know, not the ones who got nothing but bad to say. Yeah, Absolutely. completely agree. I mean, we had a chat with uh, Joanne Calderwood recently, and she was saying similar things that you know that. She's had a, a bit of negativity in, in, in the past and she's ended up setting it up so that she can't really get too much of that now. And, you know, we talked about using the mute button on things like Twitter yeah. as well because the, the the kind of trolls out there, they, they almost want to get blocked. They they screen grab it and put it up as a kind of like badge of honour that so-and-so has blocked them and uh, it's better to just to just mute them and, and ignore them, yeah, I think. that's it. They want the reaction, then they if, if you give them a reaction, you're playing into their hands. Just don't give them the reaction. I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna hound you forever. Like if you like you said, just mute them and ignore them. Then they don't exist. Then do they? You know, it's not yeah. it, it's not like you angered. I mean, there's as good as social media is. You know, like you said, we can block or we can mute people. We haven't gotta just sit. You know, if someone was if someone had an issue with you online in in person, you could easily avoid the person if you didn't want the conflict. It's the same online. Like I always say to the boy, just mute them. Or just... My father's the worst. Someone, someone says online something about me. He can't wait. He wants to pitch straight into him on Twitter. I said, just ignore him. <laughs> my father and my girlfriend, they're the, they're the worst two for it. I said, just ignore him. They said, they want a reaction. Just ignore him. Oh, you can understand. I like that though, them coming to your defense. And obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's what family does. Um, and speaking of uh, people that are very good at, at trolling, but someone that's been incredibly nice to you, Michael Bisping recently said that uh, <laughs> you remind him of George St. Pierre. I mean, how, how does it make you feel when, you know, the only British person to ever become a UFC champion is likening you to a guy that's arguably the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. How, how, do, how does that make you feel? And, and do you ever feel any danger of kind of 
not keeping your feet on the ground because you seem very level-headed. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, like, GSP was one of my... Well, always has been one of my favourite fighters growing up. Just, you know, his, it, not just his style, but the way he carried himself. He sort of... I think he, he was similar to me in the sense of he came up training the traditional martial arts and then obviously transferred to MMA. And although... You know, I have sort of gone into my MMA career a lot later than where he did is. I like to think, you know, I started off, you know, with your kickboxing, your traditional jiu-jitsu, your taekwondo, and then, you know, then moved into to MMA. And just as I've always tried to sort of not copy his style, but I've always looked at him and thought, like, if he was fighting a grappler, then he would outstrike him. If he was fighting a good striker, then he would take him down and dominate him there. And that's something I've always wanted to be able to do. You know, I've always wanted... I've always wanted people to like look at me and think, look, if I've got a weakness here, he's got, he's going to find a way to expose it. So to be compared to him, well, I, I didn't even know what to say. I come out of the cage. Obviously, I knew the commentary they were telling me, and I was like, what? I was like looking at the coach, like they got this wrong, I think. And um, and then Bispin as well. I mean, like you said, only guy to ever, only British guy to win a UFC title, um, all of fame. I mean, I remember I what I probably I'd go as far as say I probably watched every single one of Bispin's MMA fights live because. Nine person, obviously, on the TV. Yeah. Like, like, remember watching him in the Ultimate Fight there. Straight away, I was boof. That's what he was my favorite guy on the Ultimate Fight there of that season. Then I remember watching his fights in the UFC, um, like the Anderson Silver fight. Then him going on to knock out Rock. Like, especially you always looked at him. You know, he's always that guy that he just seemed to fall at the last hurdle, didn't he? And yeah. then, then knocking out Rock all on, on short notice and becoming the champion. He was like. You know, if, if that guy can't inspire you, no one can. You, you talk about a never-say-die attitude, just no matter how many times he sort of fell at that that title contention fight, you know, he just came back and done it. And, you know, he, he's a legend and he, he spoke to me online and stuff like that. And, it's, it's a, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm a big fan of the sport as well. So I'm a bit of a fanboy of, like, Bispin and DC and these people who were comping on my fight, like Dominic Cruz. So I've got to like ground myself sometimes. Like don't act like like don't act like a mad fanboy now. Like try and try and <laughs> try and play it cool a little bit. But um, it's it's obviously awesome praise, and it would be easy for me to let it go to my head. But to you, sort of someone like that, praise me up and compare me to like GSP. It, it just makes me want to sort of keep proving him right. You know, he, he he's saying how good I am and. I don't want to be the guy to go out there and make him look stupid and, and make all these people around me who are bigging me up look look silly. So it just encourages me to keep working hard and just just keep getting becoming a better martial artist as well as obviously a better fighter as well. I mean, being you know being in in arenas where you know so many of these iconic fighters are and the people that you've watched, like you say, over the years, like do you ever suffer with like that imposter syndrome that so many of us? that suffer with just like holy shit that's like dc over there and like i'm fighting on this card does it, you know does that ever kind of sort of find its way into your head yeah like 100 percent. not not so much like during the fight or the, the fight day but like yeah like the last fight then the fighters meeting um so it's a little bit like this it was on zoom in front of a lot and you're chatting to the commentators and um two of the comments was dc and and uh dominic cruz so like two two one my one of my favorite fighters growing <laughs> up was dominic cruz because of his style and then obviously I've been a fan of DC for years. He's, he's one of my favorite personalities in the sport. So to be sat on like a Zoom call and you've got these two asking me about, you know, my style and, and how's training going and who you're training with and asking me about my coaches is like, like you say, it doesn't feel from, it doesn't feel real. Same with Bruce Buffer. So like the very first fight, I had to pinch myself a little bit. I was pacing back and forth in the cage and Bruce Buffer announces from Amplary Wales, Jack Tank Show. And I'm like, fuck me, it's Bruce Buffer. It's Bruce Buffer. <laughs> so... You do get that syndrome a little bit. Thankfully, the fact that you're in a, you know, 
high stress environment and you're going to have a fight, it sort of brings you back down to earth real fast. But like you said, you'd some, I mean, I've trained, I've had it a lot. I've trained out in um, Albuquerque for a month at Jackson Wink and it was, it was sharing the mat with John Jones and he was fighting for uh, coming back to fight DC again. And it was like, I had to stop myself from like just standing there in the middle of the session and just watch, watching him train. I was like, you do actually need to train yourself. You can't just sit there and fan by this guy for the next month. But it is very hard sometimes, especially being like me, like a kid who, who've grown up in love with the sport and have grown up, not just a participant, but a massive fan of the sport as well. For me to be around these people now and interact with them, it's, it's, it's insane. That's, that's the only way I can describe it. I mean, I, that sounds amazing to me. I mean, I'd love to be on a Zoom call with DC. He's one of my favourites as well. I, I love that man so much. Um, what One of the big talking points after your last fight, uh, and it's been something that British MMA has had to deal with for a long time, is that your wrestling was far superior to like the average British fighter's wrestling. Does that... Is that something you've been training from a very, very early age? Or is that part of what you kind of alluded to earlier, where you've, you've gone to America, you have gone and seen different styles, you've been to Albuquerque at Jackson Wink, and, and I don't know if you've maybe been to other places in, in the States where you're, you're training wrestlers, because it's, it's the Americans, and obviously the Dagestanis now, but, but the, the Americans that particularly for, for years and years up until recently were like, the most elite wrestlers, it seemed, in, in martial arts, uh, in mixed martial arts. And uh, it's how much of that has been just your own training at home and how much of that has been you picking up things from travelling to the States and training over there? Well, you know, 99% of it I've, I've learned at home from my, my coaches. Um, Carl Parker is my wrestling coach um, and he's my MMA coach as well, as, as obviously my father as well. But to be honest, it, I mean, I haven't really trained specific or... or wrestling purely ever i mean i've always i've always sort of done a little i done a little bit of judo when i was doing my traditional stuff a lot of the jujitsu stuff like the japanese jujitsu a lot of that that stuff is based from you start on the feet um there was no like guard pulling and stuff like that in the traditional days you know you had to work for the takedown and i just picked up little bits as i went with um with my mma obviously and then carl came to the team and started coaching and you know me and him just clicked instantly that that was probably 2015, I think, or 2016, and that, that was when my, my wrestling game just went through the roof. And I and I think the reason I can compete with, you know, like Hunter, who's like an NCA wrestler and, and won, I think he's won multiple state titles and stuff like that, is my style of wrestling is like an MMA style of wrestling. It's not a, if I fought him in a freestyle wrestling match, he, he would probably be, beat me quite comfortably. But when it comes to like mixing it in with the cage work and the strikes, the grappling as well, and you know, it's a different style of wrestling completely. And and at our gym, we, you know, we don't train Greco or freestyle. It's, our wrestling class is all based around MMA. So it's all based with cage work. We we wrestle from open play without strikes and stuff. But when we're drilling and learning these techniques, it's all with that in the back of our head. You know, we, we're learning this specifically because we want to take it into the cage and we want to implement it in there. Obviously, I picked up, you know, great, great stuff when I went out to Jackson's and trained there for the month. Lots of good tips from the wrestling coach. And, I, you know, just the training with the guys over there, a lot, lot, lot of the friends I made out there were good level wrestlers. And, you know, they were complimenting me. Uh, sorry, complimentary. I didn't even know how to say the word. They, they complimented me then. And I was like 2017. So, you know, four years later, I like to think I'm a le- level or two above that again now. So it's, it's just one of them. I think I just instantly sort of, I pick it up very quick. Anything Carl shows me, I pick it up quick and I will drill it and drill it and drill it until I've got it nailed down and that I'm comfortable in pull, pulling it off in live sparring, obviously in a fight. And like I said, our MMA style of wrestling, I think it throws these 
these uh, poor wrestler guys off a little bit. I mean, you look at DC, he was like an Olympic level wrestler. If you watch him in the cage, everything comes from his striking and, and off the cage. And the stuff he does is, 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 is you can see he's adapted from me. Same with Khabib. I mean, you watch Khabib fight. There's the Sambo that he done years ago is a very similar style to MMA. It's all, it's all based around strikes and, and, and ground and pound. So you, you can see, he, I think he'd be very, I'm not saying I'm as good a wrestler as Khabib, but <laughs> it's the same sort of thing there. I think they're all, he's never sort of, he's never been a freestyle champion or a Greco champion or a judo champion. He's based it all around his Sambo, which is, you know, his MMA and a gi, cut the long story short. So I, I like to think that's why it can cause him so many trouble, so many problems, sorry, because I mix it in so well. I don't just go out there and wrestle or go out there and strike or go out there and grapple. I like to use one to complement the other as well. And where does the nickname The Tank come from? <laughs> the Tank is a... Well... Going back to when I was a kid, um, training at the, the original gym, I was about eight or nine years old, and um, I was a little chubby kid, cut the long story <laughs> short. I was, I was never athletic. I was a little fat kid. You know, enjoyed my chocolate too much, probably. And, uh, but I was always, o- always in the gym, and um, my father went sparring on a Saturday, and, uh, and he took me with him. So there's a guy at the gym, Simon Owner, proper legend around here, old, old school boxer, done a lot of jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. He says, go on, chuck the gloves on, we'll have a spa. And I can't remember it, but from, from what I was talking about, I'm like a bit of a lunatic. And he sort of goes to my old man, like, fuck me. He's like a young tank abbot, he said. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so he, he starts calling, him and my dad then call me tank. And then as I've grown up as a kid, like everyone has known me as tank. So if, like all the boys in the gym call me tank. Then all my friends have started calling me. There's people now, there's probably about a handful of people in, in, in Wales, who call me Jack. You know, everyone calls me Tank. It's, it's, it's more of a nickname than a fight name, to be honest. And um, it just took off from there. So I thought it's only right that I, that I honour it as my fight name, you know, meaning as everybody ever has, has known me as Tank. I mean, you, you touched on there that you liked the chocolate. Obviously, you fight a lot lighter now than what you did as an amateur. Um, and so we always like to ask fighters, you know, we know it's such an important part of the, the, the fight game, like about weight cutting and how you find it and you know is it something that you've 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 got better at uh, as your careers unfolded i mean i was i hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the official etf of the ncaa invesco qqq is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Put as a lightweight um, as an amateur, mainly because a lot, well, every one of my fights was uh, the same day weigh-in. So you weigh in like 11 o'clock in the morning, sure. fight in the afternoon. So you haven't got, you can't do them drastic water cuts. I've seen guys do it, do a drastic water cut, fight the same night. And, you know, within two minutes, they, they've gone no energy. So although I was probably outsized, I, I, I just had that in my head. I don't want to be taxed and I don't want to be sort of gassed out just for the sake of a weight cut. Um, also, I went to Fairweight then as a pro and when I really like started training full time, started taking it serious, you know, I was, I was dieting a lot more serious, working with nutritionists, taking supplements. I was making featherweight, you know, I was cutting maybe two pound, two pound of water. And then I was starting to notice I was being outsized at featherweight then. And that was when we made, made the decision to go to bantamweight. And, you know, it, it does come with, with discipline. That's all it is. It's, it's very tough. Obviously it's, I'd be lying if I said it was, it was, an, it was easy to make bantamweight, but as long as I'm disciplined in the training camp with my diet, then, you know, we're very comfortable with the cut. Like you said, we, over time, we've got better at it. We do it properly now. You know, we know this, like, you know, you don't want to be dehydrated for too long. You, you don't want to cut your water too early. You don't want to cut your carbs too early. We've we picked all the little tricks up along the way. And um, I make it comfortable now. You know, it's, uh, it's still a water cut and it's still taxing, but it's, it's taxing more mentally, in my opinion, than, than physically. Um, I think... I think the last last weight cut, then I started cutting weight 12 o'clock in the night and obviously weighed in at 8 o'clock in the morning. So although it was a tough few hours, you know, it's eight hours rather than some... I mean, I, I remember years ago, the boys in the gym, they'd stop drinking water the morning the morning of the Thursday and then they couldn't weigh in until Friday afternoon. So I'd love to see it. Like, I'd love to see what 1FC have done, implemented everywhere yeah. with the hydration test and, and everyone fight at their natural weight a little bit more. But... The issue you got, I think, is whatever sort of method you put in, people will always push it to the extreme. And then I think that there'd be ways where people... I mean, it will. it's sad to say, but it'll take a serious accident or a serious incident on a big show like, like a UFC or a Bellator for, for anything to be done about it. Because it's the same with boxing and the same with wrestling. It's just part of the sport, and, and everyone who's in the sport sort of knows that comes with the territory, unfortunately. But, you know... As I do it safely and I, and I do it the right way. So as tough as it is, you know, it's not, um, I don't see it as the be all and end. All. I don't like to focus on it too much and think, you know, I don't get caught up in the debates of should we cut weight, shouldn't we cut weight. It's, to me, it's just part of the sport and, and it's, it's, it's got to be done, unfortunately. Well, let's, let's look at the other end of the spectrum then. Um, Post win, and you've got a fair few of them, mate. Um, What's the go-to feed the minute you're done? Like, what's the what's the go-to treat? It's pizza every time, every <laughs> time. A lot of fighters I mean, say I, this. A lot of fighters go I, pizza. I do. There's two things I crave in uh, in fight camp, and that's pizza and chocolate, and that's the two things I crave. And it's like straight out of there, straight home, and it's like get get, get ring my message on the way home, get on the phone, order a pizza straight away. <laughs> Order the biggest one on the menu, eat two pieces and just just feel sick then. Like, oh, throw the rest of it out. But it's it's worth it every time. Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I've said for a long time that I think that the 
bantamweight feels like the strongest division. I'm not talking just UFC. I mean, when you think about Bellator as well, I mean, we talked to to Brett Johns recently, who's just gone over there as a a bantamweight, and he's going to be looking at fights with the likes of, you know, your James Gallagher's Magomed Magomedov, uh, one Archuleta, Sergio Pettis, Patchy Mix. I mean, they, they, there's some great fighters over there in Bellator. And then obviously in the UFC, it's stacked. I mean, you've you got uh, yourself and Nathaniel Wood, a uh, 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 rep in the UK. And then we've got your, your Sean O'Malley's, your uh, Munoz and Peter Yan and, and Aljamain Sterling's and Sandhagen's and Dillashaw coming back now. Cruz and Aldo's dropped down. I mean, <laughs> I could go on and on and on about the names at Bantamweight. I mean, how how is it for you? Is that a positive or a negative thing to be in what I think a lot of people are considering the toughest weight class at the moment? No, it's great for me. I mean, I for me, I came in at, at the perfect time. I came in as the bantamweight division was starting to peak, as all these big names, like you said, your Sterlings, your Yans, your Sandagans, they were starting to work their way up. You had guys like um, Dillashaw and Cruz and Cody who were at the top of the division and they're still in the mix now. And, for me, it's brilliant to be part of it. I mean, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to come to the UFC and be a champion of a division, and then people look back in ten years' time and say, "Ah, oh, yeah, you know, he was he was champion, but <clears throat> who did he face?" Sort of thing. You know, I want I want to be fighting the best guys, and it's one like again, it goes back to that purity of the sport. If if you're going to win the UFC title, you truly are the best guy in the world at your weight, or the Bellator title, or the one championship. You're a, you know you're you're the you're the elite then of the elite, and that's I wouldn't want it any other way. I'm privileged and and sort of very proud of myself that I've got to this position where I'm in a position now where I can look to start competing with these guys and when I do get a chance to compete with a top dog I I know that I'll be ready and and I'll look to give a good account of myself but like you said full of shot I mean there's there's probably 10-15 guys in UFC that are not even ranked that I can think of off the top of my head and I sort of think how how are they not ranked you know how are are they if they're not like how are they not top 15 in the world and then you look at the top 15 and think, ah, well, that's why they're not top 15 in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I look at the top 10 now, especially at Bantamweight, and it's like any one of those guys in the next two, three years could be a champion. You, you can't look at any of them and think, ah, well, he's not going. Even guys like Dominic Cruz, who are probably in the twilight of their career, you look at him, he, he could beat any, anyone on his, on his day. If he turns up and, he, he, you know, he's, he's fit and he's injury-free, then he's capable of beating him. Same with, like, Cody, T, TJ. I mean, you've got, like, Sandegan is obviously, like, a bit of a new new guy coming through. And then you look at, like you say, look at Bellator, like for a long time, Bellator was sort of that one step behind the UFC. But you look at the strength of their divisions now, they're pretty much on a par as well. So it just, it, it must be something in the water for the people that, uh, that walk around about 70 kilo and decide they're going to cut to uh, to 61. It's, it's full of sharks, every, every division you look in. I mean, even the one FC, you look at the 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 guys who fight over the MMA and, and, the, and the sort of cage tie boxing rules. It tends to be the lower the weight class you go, the, the better the guys are. And I think it all comes down to skill. I mean, we were probably all sort of guys that were never the biggest and the strongest growing up. So we focus on our technique and our skill set. And, you know, now we've just all sort of, we're in this division where it's like, right, let's see who is the most skilled. So it's what a time to be a part of it all. And, and in regards to that, what's, what's coming next, Jack? Well, there's, no, there's nothing confirmed. I've spoke to my manager. We're open for July. I mean, obviously, the Conor McGregor car would be the, the one, but I can imagine me and 200 other fighters want to get on that card. Yeah. So <laughs> whether we'll get that one, I'm not sure. But uh, I would like to, to fight, obviously, in July because I, I, I'd like to get free in this year. I mean, July and September, October would be perfect. I got, got an all-day book in November. So 
you know, I want to get three fights in before then. Um, but July, July would be great. There's, there's two or three cards, I think, in July. Um, my manager's pretty good, Graham, at what he does. So I'm hoping he can uh, can pull some some strings with the matchmakers and uh, and squeeze me on, hopefully. And is there any one in particular, or any like, is there? Are you just like, I just want someone maybe in the top fifteen, or do you think it's a bit like uh, early for that? Or what 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 are you looking for next in terms of opponent? I mean, also, I'd love a top 15. I, I feel like I'm at that level now. We've seen it in the last fight, I think, where I'm confident I can compete and beat those guys. Um, but as we just mentioned, the division is that stacked. It, it wouldn't surprise me if I if I go do two or three more fights before I'm looking at a top 15 fight. Um, there was a fight on the weekend, um, Murab and Cody Stanman. Oh, yeah. W- watching, it, watching them two scramble and, and wrestle, the first thing I thought was, cool, I'd, love, I'd love to be involved in, in a fight like that. You know, I pace from start to finish. I think Marab now is on a six-fight win streak, so he's likely going to get a top 10 guy next. But maybe maybe someone like Cody, you know, although he's lost it, I don't think his stock has gone down because of how good that fight was. You know, yeah. it, was it was so high-paced. And again, just a display of pure skill set. You know, there, w- there was no muscle or strength or, you know, one-punch knockouts involved. It was, it was skill from start to finish on both of them, from the striking to the, to the rest, into the grappling. Yeah. So w- one of those guys would be great, but... You know, I'll fight anyone, and I'm, I'm willing to, to. I want to earn my spot in that top fifteen. So if I got to fight two or three more to get in there, then that's what I got to do. Uh, so I mean, I think you're the only guy in the division that would say, "Yeah, I'd love to fight Mirab Divashvili." I mean, that guy is that pace. There's everything about he is. I mean, I've been thinking Mirab's right up there for for a while now, but I mean, Jesus, he he looked like something else, but. As you say, Cody Stamen as well. He he fought really well. It's just it, that that pace was was something else. And and you mentioned yeah, yeah. Uh, the July card. I know Sugar Sean O'Malley's fighting Louis Smoker on that card. I think that's just been verbally agreed. And there's so there's just so many big fights out there at bantamweight. I mean, if you get on that July card, it, 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 is that something that particularly interests you? Like the winner of that fight, Smoker and, and Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Again, I mean that that would be a great fight. The the winner of those. I think with O'Malley, he's obviously he pulls in a lot of views and he's he's such a big name that I think a win you now they're gonna look to sort of propel yeah. him. I mean I know he lost to Chichito Vera and I think that knocked him back a little bit, but I think he wins you now. I think he'll be a similar scenario with Mirab. They'll try and push him into that mm-hmm. top ten. Because obviously, look, as much as it's a sport, it's a business as well. The the, the guys who bring in the most views, they they are the guys who are gonna get those big cards and those top spots. And you know. They, they not necessarily an easier route to the title, but they're going to have a faster route to the to the title. So, the winner of that fight would be great as well. But I think um, if O'Malley wins, the I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a top ten or even a top five guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jack, whoever you fight, uh, we'll be there cheering for you, mate. Thanks so much for your time today, mate, and we wish you all the best. Whoever you end up fighting next, mate, thank you. We can't wait to see you. Bring that strap back to the UK, mate. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on as well. I've enjoyed it. Our pleasure, mate. Thanks so much for coming on. No worries. No worries. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon, guys. Take it easy, Jack. Thanks, mate. What a chat. Jack Shaw. Jack the Tank Shaw. Oh, after Tank Abbott. I never knew that. I love it. No, (laughs) I love that as well. I I can picture him now being like a little like eight-year-old or whatever with the tank goatee, (laughs) the little like ginger tank goatee. That's that's what I'd like to see. Clocking in at about Um, 19 stone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, he said he enjoyed the chocolate in his younger days. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, what, what, what a great 
prospect yeah. he, he is for, for UK MMA. I mean, Bisping, comparing him to GSP, I think I think says it all as well. I mean, he really has... Yeah. He, the future looks very, very bright for him. I mean, 14-0, 3-0 in the UFC. Yeah. I mean, as we mentioned towards the end of that chat, that is a shark tank yeah. of a division in, in terms of bantamweight. But I, I think he's got as good a chance of, as anyone in that division of of moving up the rankings yeah. and and you know breaking into maybe the top 10 and, and from there who knows you never know how far people are going to go super super nice super level headed mega humble and you know I, I like that and I like the fact that he said you know that's that's how we do you know we build our brand you know and said this, you know uh, said the same about Brett you know it's like we are like that guy next door that you probably think couldn't couldn't would be an MMA fighter and you know and you, I love that I just thought you know you, that you know you can do the sugar Sean thing and that which obviously just it's not for all fighters and I just like the way that he done it I also like the way that you got all Rogan and he was like so do you want the winner of that fight <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I was just well, like, I think it's because I'm... <laughs> oh, no, I hope he doesn't feel like I did. It just came to me because it got announced. Did it got announced like today or yesterday yeah. that, that Sean O'Malley's on that card? And I was just like, oh, well, that's an interesting one. And also, I think in some ways as well, is I, I want to see... I always want to see the best fight the best. And I, I do really like Sugar Sean as well as a fighter. But also... I want to see the fighters that are, you know, like the Arnold Allens and the Brett Johns and uh, 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 and the Jack Shaws of this world that are maybe, you know, not the most outspoken of fighters, still get their fair crack as well. Because as he said, it is a business and the, the fighters that are the loudest sometimes get the quickest routes yeah. to the, the top 10, yeah. top five and the title. And uh, I want to see the, the, the fighters that are, are less outspoken yeah. but are still brilliant and good people get those opportunities as well. But I, I hope he doesn't think I was trying to get some kind of Cooler. clickbait <laughs> nonsense because, I mean, we don't do that, do we? On this, but, uh, but, yeah, so it probably did come across that way towards the end. So, Jack, if you're listening, I'm apologising uh, for that. But, uh, but yeah, no, but I just, you know, uh, why not? Let's stir the pot a bit. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I'm going to direct message Sugar Sean and be like, oh, you know what, Jack Sean? You'll never believe what he just said. You'll never believe what he just said. Corner stuff we had to edit out. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, (laughs) Jeff. Um, Yeah, no, Jack, we're not doing that, obviously. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, I I think we've, we've, uh, we've had two great... Great young Welsh lads. Oh, on, do you know what? In, in like very, Brett very similar in personality. Just like you say, super kind, yeah. super humble. You know, just just smart lads that you know. And it, it, it's just great for the whole UK MMA scene to see. You know, and it's the it same is. with you know with Nathaniel and Paddy and Molly and Jojo. It's you know it's exciting and and look where it can go. We mentioned it in that very episode. You know, talking about Bisping. You know, they they you know they can win world titles and. And when we look at Jack's record, he is on course. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you're gonna we're we gonna go now. I'll leave you to jump on Twitter and start um, stirring the pot. I'll and, start uh... stirring the pot. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'll do. That's what I do best. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry, Jack. I'll get you that fight, mate. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, there's nothing more to say, is there? No. That's it. I mean, are you you know subscribe and retweet and listen to the show. Oh, there's like, a reason I do we, this bit, aren't there? Yeah, there's a reason you do that bit. <laughs> you, you know, like things, 
Follow us on the the, the book face gram oh. twit. You know all that all that stuff. There you go. Blah blah blah. The end of the there show. There you go. That was Grandad Harrison telling you that. There. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. 